It's my privilege to introduce this morning my good friend and a good friend of Grace Chicago Church, Fred Harrell. Fred's the pastor of City Church in San Francisco, and uh, the life of City Church San Francisco and the life of Grace Chicago uh, have been, uh, uh, well, there's been solidarity between us for a very long time. Uh, Fred uh, was one of the coaches um, that met with us, that coached me, uh, and that also coached our launch team as we began Grace Chicago uh, Church. So the relationship is rich and it's long. When I was thinking about how to introduce Fred this morning, I was thinking about this theme of uh, solidarity between God and human beings as pictured uh, so profoundly in Jesus' baptism. That double representation that we were talking about earlier of God to humans and humans to God reminds us also that God takes our human selves so seriously that he speaks to us through each other. In a sense, presenting and representing God's self to us through the presence of the Spirit of Christ in us and among us, one to another. I thought of this last night when I had dinner with Fred. I had not had a good one-on-one sit-down with him in a long time, in a number of years, actually. And when I walked home from the dinner, there was a spring in my step because Fred presented Jesus to me in his gentleness, in his love and hunger for the mercy, justice, and love of God to triumph in his life, in the life of the church, and in the life of the whole world. As Fred presents Jesus to us this morning in his homily, may the Spirit of God anoint his words so that each of us will leave this place with a spring in our step, eager to bear witness to the gospel in word and deed. Come on up, Fred. Thank you, Bob. I want you to introduce me every time I speak, if that's okay. So good to be with you this morning. I, uh, I just love this church. You know, preachers are weird. We, when we're asked to speak at other places, you know, we're kind of looking around judging it, you know, especially if you're like me. And uh, like, you know, what's, uh, is, this good, is this as good as my place? You know, like, we do it this way. They're kind of doing it that way. And about nine times out of ten, I, I go to other churches like, eh, I like the way we do it better until I come here. And I was here, I guess, a year ago to worship uh, the last time, and I had the same feeling. I'm like, you know, I love the way they do this. I love the way they do that. It's just a special community. So it's really a privilege to be here. Bob talked about, um, you know, all over the world today, people are reading that passage from the book of Luke. By the way, I go all the way back to the first year of City Church with Michael and Holly Demaray. I just reminded here. There they are, yes. They were a part of our group as well, so, so good to see you both. Um, you know, churches all over the world today are talking about the baptism of Jesus, and um, and uh, you know, that's good. That's a really good thing to remember, especially those amazing words we hear there. You know, this is my beloved uh, in whom I'm well pleased. And, and we believe that this is what God has to say to us as well, that we are also the beloved. And that, but here's the thing I want to emphasize this morning with you. That just as we are the beloved, and I think this is a really important thing for Christians to be doing, particularly at this moment, is to not only focus on their status of being the beloved, 
but on their responsibility to live out the life of the beloved, as Jesus did, to live out the life of the beloved. And how do we know how to do that? And I can think of no other place when answering the question, how, what does it mean and how do we live out our baptismal identity? I cannot think of a better thing for us to do than to pay attention to one of Jesus' favorite or uh, famous sermons. You may recognize it. When Jesus saw the crowds, he went up the mountain after he sat down, his disciples came to him. Then he began to speak and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. And then later, you've heard it said, that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. And then later in the sermon, and everything, do to others as you would have them do to you, for this is the law and the prophets. Enter through the narrow gate. For the gate is wide. That's what it means, by the way, to enter through the narrow gate. I just want you to connect, connect the golden rule to the narrow gate, okay? What it means to live out the narrow gate and enter through the narrow gate is the golden rule. And everything due to others as you would have them do to you, for this is the law and the prophets. Enter through the narrow gate. For the gate is wide and the road is easy that leads to destruction, and there are many who take it. For the gate of the narrow and the road is for the, for the gate is narrow and the road is hard that leads to life. And there are a few who find it. I was sitting on a bus early in my time in San Francisco when we were starting the church. And um, a person, uh, you know, I, we had nobody, you know. <laughs> you know it was, everybody in the church had the last name of Harold. And, uh, and so I'm sitting in a bus and I'm just trying to make friends, you know. And I'm talking to a fellow passenger on the bus in the city. And he told me he had no interest in church when I told him what I was there to do. It must have sounded like I was there to start a cult. And... Um, Hi, I'm here. I'm here to start a new congregation in San Francisco, Chicago. That's, oh, okay, you're crazy. Um, he said, look, it's simple for me, buddy. Here's the deal. You Christians, you don't take Jesus seriously. If you did, I would attend. I'll never forget that. The problem with you Christians is you don't really take Jesus seriously. If you did, I would attend. That was his experience in summation. And I've heard some form of that critique many times from people over the years. And here's what I think he meant. He meant you don't take Jesus' values seriously. You don't take Jesus' ideas seriously. And I think he's right. I think it's possible for a person to be willing to say, yes, I'm a Christian, and have actually no intention or no real interest in the actual values of Jesus. And if that is true or possible, and I believe it is, we have to intentionally be reacquainting ourselves, I believe, with the actual values of Jesus. Because I think we, and I'll just say I, and maybe you fall in this category too, I would rather worship Jesus than follow Jesus. I want you to think about that. I would rather worship Jesus than follow Jesus than actually try to live out his values. Because it's just way more convenient. 
It tends to confirm my biases, prop up my privilege, and keep the status quo from which I personally benefit greatly. But the ideas of Jesus, they are really inconvenient. Really inconvenient. It is inconvenient to love your enemy. It is inconvenient to remember that Jesus treated each person he encountered as an image bearer of God. It is inconvenient to remember that Jesus said that when we feed the poor, clothe the naked, visit the sick and imprisoned, welcome the immigrant freeing, fleeing from places of violence, poverty, and despair, that we are actually doing this to him because he identifies with those on the margins. It is inconvenient to take the narrow way of the golden rule and do to others as you would have them do to you. Jesus and his ideas, boy, they are never convenient. They are also what saves the world. And when a community of people actually take these ideas, these ideas seriously, miracles happen. People get cared for, fed, Loved, healed, transformed. Resurrection happens when the ideas of Jesus are taken seriously. I really believe that. Like the person on the bus 22 years ago, some people, honestly, are just waiting for one community of Jesus to finally take Jesus' ideas seriously. Kurt Vonnegut said, in A Man Without a Country, he said, for some reason, the most vocal Christians among us never mention the Beatitudes, what I just read to you. But often with tears in their eyes, they demand that the Ten Commandments be posted in public buildings. Blessed are the merciful in a courtroom. Blessed are the peacemakers in the Pentagon. Give me a break. But if we turn our face and our intention to not only worshiping Jesus, but also following Jesus and valuing what Jesus values, I want to warn you, life is going to get more complicated for you and more beautiful at the same time. And what might be the greatest name for a theologian in the history of names for theologians? Seventh century theologian, are you ready? Maximus the Confessor. What a name. We got a little kid about this size in our church whose name is Maximus. And I just can't, I, every, week, every week I just go, Maximus, just what a name. He said this, Christ showed us an entirely new way of being human. Christ showed us an entirely new way of being human. This is why the invitation of Jesus is always, follow me, learn from me, know my way. Because a Christian is not just someone who has prayed a prayer to get a ticket to heaven. The primary emphasis in Scripture is someone who by faith is deliberately attempting in their life to imitate Jesus. To imitate Jesus. Jesus doesn't say, ask me into your heart. A phrase found nowhere in the Bible. Jesus says, follow me. I've come to show you a new way of being human that will save the world. 2 Corinthians 5.19 tells us that in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, and entrusting the message of reconciliation to us. We are actually to join God in repairing the breach, the brokenness 
of the world. Richard Rohr, my favorite Franciscan priest, puts it this way. Bridge builders, including Jesus, usually start building a bridge from one side. You can't build a bridge from the middle, as even an engineer will tell you. You must choose a starting point. And what the gospel is saying, pure and simple, is that whenever you're going to start building your bridge, you better start from the side of the powerless, not power. Because if you start on the side of power, you'll stay there forever. You really won't build any bridges. And this is exactly where the Sermon on the Mount will start you off with the powerless. So while I'm all for worshiping Jesus, when we see him as he is, a brown-skinned Palestinian Jew from the first century that identified with the weak and the poor because he was weak and poor himself, the outsider and the outcast because he became the ultimate outcast who has something to say to us from that perspective to completely reorient our way of being in this world, we have the opportunity not to betray the person we worship and to live into a new fullness and purpose that's greater than our own existential moment and our desperate tendency to amass power and then to hang on to it. And to do that, we have to look at this famous sermon. We have to look at the Beatitudes. And we're going to look now, briefly, at each Beatitude. I'm going to be sprinkling in some of my own thoughts, some of the thoughts of Nadia Bowles-Weber, some of the thoughts of a few pastors like Doug Gay, who preached through the Beatitudes in this kind of a similar fashion, so the style is not mine. I don't normally preach a sermon quite this way, but I'm just going to go through these. So Jesus starts. Stay with me. Are you ready? Jesus starts with saying, "Blessed blessed are the poor in spirit. As African-American theologian and Bible scholar Michael Joseph Brown says, they are not just the financially destitute people who are maimed, lame, blind, and the like were considered poor. They are those who have been misused by the powerful. Poverty was a social category and not just an economic one. The poor are those from whom the system does not work. Jesus assures the poor in spirit that under God's rule they are protected. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So Christ followers value poverty of spirit in all its many manifestations in the lives of people. So, blessed are those who know their need of God, who are under no delusion about their supposed self-sufficiency, who have seen through the veneer of their omnicompetence. Blessed are the agnostics. Blessed are they who doubt. Those who aren't sure, who can still be surprised. Blessed are they who are spiritually impoverished and therefore not so certain about everything that they no longer take in new information. Blessed are those who feel they have nothing to offer. Blessed are they for whom nothing seems to be working. Blessed are the poor in spirit. You are of heaven and Jesus blesses you. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. If you avoid grieving loss, my therapist would say you are only half alive. Because life involves sadness that needs to be grieved. Further, you are missing the comfort of God when you finally drop your guard and find a God who will comfort you in your loss, often through the comfort of others around you, and cut new grooves of depth and beauty into your soul through your mourning. Christ followers value mourning and those who mourn. So blessed are they for whom death 
is not an abstraction. Blessed are they who have buried their loved ones, for whom tears are as real as an ocean. Blessed are they who have loved enough to know what loss feels like. Blessed are the mothers of the miscarried, the stillborn, and the short-lived child. Blessed is any parent who has had to bury their own child. Blessed are they who can't fall apart because they have to keep it together for everyone else. Blessed are the alone, the ones from whom so much has been taken. Blessed are the teens who have to figure out ways to hide the new cuts on their arms. Blessed are those who feel they have to hide their identity. Blessed are those who still aren't over it yet. Blessed are they who laughed again when for so long they thought they never would. Blessed are those who mourn. You are of heaven and Jesus blesses you. Blessed are the meek who are far from being weak. They are the the peaceable and non-aggressive. They will inherit the earth. Jesus is teaching us there's an alternative way of viewing the world other than seeing it through the lens of self-aggrandizing power where it's dog eat dog, winner take all. Instead of grasping and clutching, there's the way of relaxing and trusting. Christ followers value the way of meekness. So, blessed are those who no one else notices. The kids who sit alone at middle school lunch tables. The laundry guys at the hospital. Blessed are the losers that don't want to make eye contact with a world that only loves the winners. Blessed are the forgotten. Blessed are the closeted. Blessed are the youth volunteers and study school teachers who each week bring the gift of meekness to the lives of children and students. Blessed are the unemployed, the unimpressive, the underrepresented. Blessed are the meek. You are of heaven. And Jesus blesses you. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for justice, Jesus says. Who ache for the world to be made right. For the rule and reign of God is a dream that can come true. Jesus blesses those who ache over the pervasive injustice and deep brokenness of our world. And those formed by this beatitude will not stand for the status quo, but ache for something better. Christ values. Christ's followers value pursuing justice. So, blessed are the ones who never catch a break. The ones for whom life is hard. For they are those with whom Jesus chose to surround himself. Blessed are those without documentation. Blessed are the ones without lobbyists. Blessed are the ones who live simply so others might have enough. Blessed are the volunteers and staff in homeless shelters who make space for everyone to be loved and known. Blessed are the ones who, though they do their job with excellence, are passed over because of the color of their skin. Blessed are the kids who just wants to feel safe and loved and never does. Blessed are they who know there has to be more than this because they are right. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for justice. Blessed are the merciful. Jesus consistently exhibited mercy and commended mercy. The only people you can make the case toward that Jesus was not merciful were the unmerciful. 
Spiritual pride and withholding mercy are two of the most dangerous sins a person can commit. Honestly, my strong advice to you is avoid withholding mercy like the plague. As recipients of mercy, Christ's followers value extending it to others. So blessed. Blessed are the burnt out social workers and the overworked teachers and the pro bono case takers. Blessed are the kids who step between the bullies and the weak. Blessed are the ones who have received such real grace that they, no longer, they are no longer in the position of ever deciding who the deserving poor are. Blessed is the exhausted parent who responds to their wayward child with mercy again and again. Blessed are those who are desperate to know the difference between mercy and enablement. Blessed is everyone who has ever forgiven me when I didn't deserve it. Blessed are the merciful, for they totally get it. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. There's a sense in which the heart or soul is an organ of perception. The heart of a person is like a window, which if clean can perceive God at work in the world. Conversely, that the window of the human heart is covered with a darkening grind. The result is a kind of spiritual blindness. So more than being morally upright, but not less than that, cleanliness of heart has to do with a lack of pride, hypocrisy, and judgmentalism. We realize, as it said in the Talmud, we do not see things as they are. We see things as we are. The world becomes a much more beautiful place simply by being able to see God, especially as God is present in the lives of others. And so Christ's followers value purity of heart. So blessed are those who know they can't have it all, but they can't have God. Blessed are those who don't cheat on their lovers. Blessed are those who want others to do well. Blessed are those who love themselves, who get the help they need. Blessed are those who daily choose to stay clean and sober as a matter of survival. Blessed are those who are generous with their resources. Blessed are those who are slow to judge, quick to listen. Blessed is the one who tells their truth at great cost to themselves. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. We're almost at the end. Hang with me. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Peaceful bridge building in a world marked by violence is to take up the family business of God. The world makes peace through violence. How did Christ make peace and give the world peace? By forgiveness. The peace of Christ is achieved by forgiving enemies and embracing them as friends. We know an enemy is simply someone whose story we haven't heard. Blessed are those who take time to understand who get shot at by both sides in the name of peacemaking. Blessed are those who compromise. Christ's followers value making peace. Blessed are the persecuted for the sake of justice. Jesus says everyone who is persecuted in the cause of justice is persecuted, quote, on my account. They're one and the same. And Jesus is telling us exactly what will happen when we share the stigma where we shoulder the burden and actually speak up for justice. You will be misunderstood, you will make others feel uncomfortable, and you will have evil uttered against you. So blessed are those 
who get roughed up because they dared to get involved. Blessed are those who dictators try to silence. Blessed are the ones who stand up for others on social media, even when it's costly. Blessed are the powerful who use their power to protect the powerless, promote the powerless, and hear the powerless. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. We value, Christ followers value, knowing that Jesus sits with us in solidarity when we take up his prophetic voice. So friends, the Beatitudes. The Beatitudes are a window into the interior life of Jesus Christ. If you're asking today, what is Jesus like? I can give you no better answer than to say Jesus is like the Beatitudes. The Beatitudes uniquely capture the content of Christ's character, the values of his reign and rule. Jesus is drawn to the poor and sorrowful. He stands up for the meek and persecuted. He exhibits justice and mercy and endorses purity and peacemaking. This is what Jesus is like. This is what it's like to live the life of the beloved. And if we attempt to understand Jesus, apart from the Beatitudes, we inevitably get Jesus wrong. But this is what Jesus is like. And as the writer of Hebrews says, Jesus is the exact imprint of God's very being. So now you know what God is like. Perfectly revealing the heart of God who confronts the sin of the world in this way. I forgive you. I forgive you. Why is this so important that you understand that Jesus shows us what God is like? Because you will never ever really give your will and your life over to any other God except one with the values of the Beatitudes. Why would you? But now that you know this is what God is like, why would you not? Why would you not? That last part that I read about the golden rule and such, and everything do to others as you would have them do to you, for this is the law and the prophets. Friends, this is the narrow gate that Jesus asks us to walk through. This is what living out our baptismal identity demands and invites of us to do. You know, I just, just going back over this this morning. The American church is addicted to worshiping Jesus. Isn't that something? By that I mean there's, there's a worship of Jesus with no real intention of looking at what it means to follow Jesus radically. To take up our cross and follow him. I thank God for this church. You're doing it here. I'm challenging you, pushing you to do it more. To think of it in even more profound ways. I don't know that it's ever been more important time for us to seek to live lives of radical peacemaking, of taking up these values. May God give us grace to live out the life of the beloved.
May God give us grace to remember always that this same Jesus, in so living out this life, was indeed persecuted to death, was lynched, was murdered. By colluding powers all coming together. Because when you speak up and you live out the beloved life, the status quo that's killing people will be disrupted. And so what I'm asking you to consider today to do is not going to be easy. Got Jesus killed. But it could save the world. Just as Jesus' death did. And in his resurrection, what I want you to hear is, is that God vindicated the life and teaching of Jesus. And we're invited to that same resurrection life. Let's pray. Gracious God, we love to worship you. We love to sing our songs. We love to pray. All of those are such good things to do. Help us to make the vital connection that you called us to live these values out. May our lives and our priorities be your priorities as we seek to live the life of the beloved in Chicago, in San Francisco, and wherever you may call us to be your presence. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.